What's going on, guys? Michael here, Energy 360 Network by Intercom. Excited to be bringing this interview with Rob McBride, who's the Senior Director of Strategy and Analytics at Enverness. We know we love Enverness. They know data, and there's some really, really great information in this interview. Me and Stuart Turley, who's the Director and Publisher of Oil and Gas, BCC.com, got to sit down with Rob and really talk all things shut in. They have a new report that you can check out on their website, enverus.com. And, and really, it highlights a bunch of different things. And I don't even really want to spoil it. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Stu and let him kick it off. Um, hey, everybody. Uh, we are here with uh, Rob and uh, McBride from Enverus. And uh, Rob, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it sounds great. We also got Mike, uh, Michael uh, Tanner. He is our host at uh, Oil and Gas 360. You doing okay this morning? I'm doing good. This is going to be an awesome interview. A lot to dive into here. You bet. Well, Robert, uh, we're here to visit about your report from Enverus that you just put out, the 2020 production of shut-ins and ducks. This is a hot topic right now uh, when you consider uh, all the shut-ins, you know, we take a look at uh, what's going on on the uh, uh, unprecedented market, and we've used that word way too much. Um, and and so as we take a look at this, this report has a lot of information in it. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, just give us your uh, first thoughts on this. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. And um I actually want to first respond to the fact, the comment you just made about unprecedented, because I did a presentation just last week and I embedded into that the comment that if I don't use the word unprecedented again for the rest of my life, uh, it'll be too soon. Um, and here I am using it again, because honestly, that not just us, but every analyst across the, the, the board here has been embedding that term. And it's absolutely true. Like, like, there is no historical metric to measure what we're experiencing now. Um, and I think that uh, can speak to the theme of the report as well as other reports we're putting out as because there's nothing to compare this to, the um, demand destruction from this pandemic, which actually arrived right after you know, a, a big other market <clears throat> a uh, seismic event in the Saudi-Russia price war, which quickly got put on the back burner, is that we don't know what to expect. So all the analysis we do, we do our best to try to find some historical precedent, but there's just nothing there. Um, and therefore, we just continue to say the future is uncertain. There's a lot of things we can comment on and, and, and make our best judgments on. But the one thing we consistently come back to is we do expect there's going to be more volatility, especially for the balance of this year. Um, the last few weeks might have felt a little more stable, but there's so much more to be um, more to come. Let's let's just leave it at that. Yeah, there's definitely a large amount, and I'm excited <laughs> to dive into this. I think it's important before we maybe dive into the nitty gritty to sort of set a theme here for you know the correlation between drilling and drilling rigs and the current sustaining level of production. I mean, can you talk about that for a little bit? Because I think it's an important theme that to touch on before we dive into some of these details. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I think the, the, the biggest point we were trying to get across in this report is, you know, it's no secret to anybody that the rig count, so to speak, is not necessarily, and hasn't been since the beginning of the shale boom, 
the direct correlation to production the way it was over a decade ago. It's still very important, but it's not literally a single benchmark that you can rely on. So we were trying to expose all the other different methods of analysis that we, uh, what we would use to say, well, what else can we learn about? Because at the end of the day, the rig count is not the sole reliable thing only because technology has advanced, different methods of drilling, uh, different uh, philosophies around it, efficiencies that have uh, been created. So you really have to look at other aspects to come up with a correlation. So yes, when our rig count is going down to the low 300s now, um, certainly that means there's going to be production offline. But we try to focus on other factors that we can uh, observe to come up with what our decisions are in terms of um, where production is headed. So uh, one of the things I found uh, very interesting on the report is a lot of times reports are not broken out by um, areas. You've got Anadarko, uh, Rockies, California, Eagleford. Uh, I've always said Inverness, uh, Inverest has always got data, 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 data. And uh, again, it's by uh, area in the Eagleford, California. Can you tell us a little bit of differences between each one of the different fields, uh, what you guys were seeing there? Yeah, um, and, and so maybe I'll take a little liberty with this question and tell me if you want to redirect me uh, somewhere else. So, you know, at the core, you're pointing out something uh, very core to our business is the fact that we probably have or confidently have the best well-level data in the industry. And all of that data comes in from uh, sources that are uh, state run. So each state has its own um, level of transparency. They have their own level of lag. And we then have to correlate that back to individual base. But what we also try to do is say, in addition to being just a raw data provider, is what sort of software and analytical tools can we build upon those raw data to actually give you insight into what's happening in each basin? Um, so, you know, I, I won't go into areas that are a little bit beyond my scope, whereas uh, the, the raw data for like reservoir level data for drillers, um, I'm not a geologist, I'm not a um, drilling engineer, so there is value in that that is unique to every single basin, and that is one of our core strengths that eventually gets into our reports. But um, there's a lot of this story that goes beyond just the well-level data, and and I think this can... can um, speak to some of the questions uh, we want to tackle here. And let's talk about the biggest topic in the market today, which is who's shutting in, right? Because that with the demand destruction and it's different across bases. And I think you saw in our report uh, that we, we really focused on the Bakken being uh, significantly affected by shut-in levels. Now, I wouldn't say it's necessarily uh, on a gross level the largest, but it was probably one of the most effective. And so where I'm going with this is we actually have tools that actually look at the complete supply chain that bring it from the wellhead all the way out to the refinery into the finished product. And this reason the Bakken was most incredibly hit by this is actually a plumbing story. 
And we have um, in development, we use it in-house and soon to be released later this year, an optimization model that clients can use that can actually see that full story of the molecule flowing from the wellhead through the distribution wow. system and actually all the way through the refinery infrastructure. And what you'll find is when you think about shut-ins, the first way to consider it is I'd actually want to just analyze the complete inventory of wells across all of North America and find out which ones have the highest variable cost and identify the ones that therefore are most economically apt to be shut in compared to others. But <clears throat> the fact of the matter is in this uh, pandemic, it came on so strong and the demand destruction exploded so quickly in particularly in Q2 that you couldn't really necessarily do that, neither as an analyst or as an operator. But really what impacted the whole industry and therefore flew back to the Bakken is if you start looking at where, when you get to the end of the supply chain, the refineries are making their decisions. And really what you don't wanna do if you're a refiner is 100% completely shut down your refinery, right? And you're gonna to have to do that if your product tanks fill up so you run out of storage. So you are gonna do the best you can to run, and you're actually gonna see that the lightest crudes were getting punished um, the most across the world. I'm sorry, the other way around. Uh, you, you'd want to see uh, the lightest crudes, particularly if you think about the Bakken, uh, maybe across the board there, you're talking about a 42 API. And if you go to the you know, other really important base in the Permian, uh, Midland Suite, you know, this may sound, not that significant that maybe averages an api of 40 but that really has an effect on the naphtha and kerosene cut in your barrel. so the barrel so where i'm going is those areas that had the lightest crude so let's go even to the more extreme condensate barrels in the utica those were the ones that were most negatively affected because uh the biggest cut of the um barrel would be affected and we were finding in our optimization model sorry to try to have a long answer and i'll bring it back to 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 a conclusion here as you look at different basins if you saw the results of the bottlenecks coming out of those basins which was really highly correlated to the api of that basin you found that the Bakken was much harder hit and expected to be and it did turn out to be so on a percentage basis than places like the Permian. Places like Utica Condensate were uh, immediately, that's where you're seeing negative prices in the field uh, almost instantly. So to address your question of basin to basin, it's very different. We've found that you do have to look much further than just the well-level data, which we do excel at, but you have to go into the optimization of the full supply chain and you're going to find conclusions that guide you to where the basins are going to be hit hardest. And so far, most of those have panned out correctly for us. Wow, I th that's, that's unbelievable. And I think that's such a, it's such an unbelievable tool that you guys have to use. And, and, and so along that same note, you know, obviously, you know, the, the Bakken's been hit hard, but another thing you mentioned, another, you know, type of operators that got hit hard were multi-basin operators and, and, and super majors were the two styles of companies that did a lot of the shut-in, specifically in the multi-basin. Is, is, is that the same story? Was it the supply chain bottleneck that really caused a lot of these multi-basins to shut-in, or is there sort of a different story behind that? 
I don't know that we uh, took a strong view on that in our report, and I'm not sure that I have conclusive evidence that it's particularly uh, impacting multi-basin players or the super majors. Um, I will say anecdotally, we've seen in the headlines, I think they've been a little bit more vocal about um, the children's, but I mean, if you would think about the Bakken, for example, the hardest hit is continental, so I, I wouldn't put them in a, um, uh, super major category nor a multi-basin player and and their story is mostly because they, they they had chosen not to hedge so they certainly had a lot more exposure to the low prices than maybe some of the other operators did um, we do know that we've seen that 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 we weren't necessarily anticipating um, you do see a lot of stories coming out of the Gulf of Mexico production declines there and I usually associate those with super majors like Shell and BP and I think that story is a little bit more, it wasn't literally the supply chain or the economic value. Um, I, I, you know, I would go out on a limb and say Shell, BP, those types might have just decided they didn't like the price and, and voluntarily decided to shut in, even though it wasn't uh, 100% a complete money loser for them. Um, and so that's why you may be hearing a little bit more noise from multi-basin players um, being more uh, uh, public about the amount of their shut-ins. But, but I would still argue that the, the story is in the details for every operator. Um, the multi-basin players, you know, by, by logical deduction are more diversified. So I, I, I guess I would say I, I don't see evidence yet that it's particularly affecting multi-basin players more than, than uh, single asset focused. Hey, uh, fantastic, uh, Rob. On on the report, it has a really cool breakout of duck forecast. And so as we take a look at the forecast, frac crews starting to return late in Q3 um, and, you know, completions coming on in Q4. Can you kind of give us a ballpark idea of where you think some of these duck on this duck forecast is coming in? Yeah, I, I, I would say that, you know, that that was, you know, one of our first cuts at, at making a forecast on where ducks are headed. And, and it's, it's a fluid um, motion. We actually have another report coming out in just a couple of weeks we'll, where we will be updating that. So I don't have the exact numbers in front of me to preview. So do expect our view on that to change. A lot of what went into that is, is the making judgment calls on as this pandemic set in you do have a lot of drilling momentum right and and that is a little bit harder to arrest than the completion momentum so there was and particularly that's why you see it in the oil patch a little bit more in the gas patch because there was certainly a lot of more momentum um, inertia built up and in, uh, investment going into the drilling oil directed drilling so it's a little bit harder to pull back on those plans where you can cancel the completion crews while you're still doing or making your decisions on drilling. And I think those completion crews are easier to ramp back up. So that's where we start picking out in Q3. Um, <clears throat> as you see the price recovery, which you know arguably may be a little bit too soon that we're seeing right now. Um, but that is where we picked our inflection point to say, okay, we're going to start bringing completion crews back online here. And if we insert this assumed rate, 
um, it will overtake the declining uh, drilling rate and eventually start to clear up an inventory of ducts. But expect to see a lot more deep dive analysis on that in our upcoming um, end of June report. That's awesome. And I want to circle around to CapEx because I know the outlook for crude oil and natural gas differs. Are you guys seeing a difference in CapEx being spent on, on specific basins that maybe lean a little gas heavy versus oil heavy? Well, um, the story would, would, would lead you to expect that to happen. So we don't have announcements from operators that confirms that belief, um, but the gas story definitely has um, a, a pretty big near-term wrinkle that should actually confirm that story. So right now the gas market is definitely struggling just along with the oil market. The demand destruction that experienced there, particularly hitting the exports, um, and, and you can now see it in June, you're really seeing the evidence of canceled cargoes. And that's devastating to the gas market in the near term for the balance of summer. Well, the silver lining for gas is if you do that and you experience the associated gas declines due to uh, decreased drilling and shut-ins in the Permian, gas finds itself in a completely opposite story come winter. The seasonality of gas demand does uh, require, even in the best of times, you're still going to have to draw on storage. Even in a bearish winter and a oversupplied market, you're still going to need to pull gas out of storage. Well, you're setting up for the fact that now you're taking a lot of that supply off the market. And yes, for now, the demand is gone. So low prices persist. But into 2021, the gas market recovers a lot quicker in its demand call than the oil market does. So therefore, your conclusion would be, hey, if I have CapEx dollars to spend, the more profitable locations are, let's get back and ramp back up in the Marcellus and Utica. Um, let's find that out. Now, we uh, haven't yet seen the evidence of that, um, but we're keeping an eye open for operators actually deploying. And I, I would expect drilling activity to lean towards gas in 2021 than it does uh, towards oil. Um, yeah, boy, that's fantastic. And on your uh, chart on page 12, uh, I found it very interesting, the number of ducts uh, of uh, oil versus gas. It looks like there's only on the duct side, uh, 30, uh, 44 versus a lot <laughs> on the oil side. Uh, so is, is that just a, a uh, a revelation or just not that many natural gas wells being shut in? Uh, if that makes sense? Yeah, I, I do think that would lean towards a lot of the gas um, that we can take off the market is associated gas. So those wells would be identified as oil wells and those are um, certainly more apt to be shut in than some of the dry gas wells in the Northeast. Um, that's why that, that number is going to skew to that side. Um, so you're going to see more uh, tagged wells or that we would tag as oil producing wells, but it's actually having a great impact on both oil and gas production. I'll tell you what, uh, we are doing, this report is very well done. And Rob, I think your team just did an outstanding overview. And we're in the show notes going to have uh, the link to this so that people can go to the Inverus uh, page and get the report, sign up, and then bring it down. Uh, and it is worth your time. 
uh, I'm gonna uh, do two things. I'm gonna ask you if you have anything else to uh, finish up with. And at the end of that, I got a surprise question for you. So uh, any, any last thoughts uh, uh, as we uh, go, go towards the end here? Uh, yeah, the, the only thing I would add, I, I touched on this a little bit in my very long answer about the different basins, but I think the biggest um, underlying, we didn't make this uh, the, 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 the headline of the report, but what, what most is most valuable to us, so we, we, we got into the concept of, hey, rig count's not the only thing, but everybody knows that. There are other pieces of data to look at. But what we're most proud of is the fact that we're developing these optimization distribution models that actually end up telling you more of the story. So we can, uh, and we do, we dive through other pieces of raw data, gas nominations, um, CapEx announcements, and draw conclusions off of that. And those are other pieces of data everyone has access to. But what we're most proud of is the conclusions that this report drew from our internal optimization model that we're developing and gonna have ready for clients. So yeah, here I'm making a bit of an advertisement, but we're very proud of it and we think we're unique in the industry to be able to provide this insight. And this report helped us show that the results of doing that type of modeling lead you to conclusions that have actually verified in the market um, that you might not get otherwise by just scouring over raw data. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things I really uh, respect about Inverus is data. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Inverus means data. Uh, and it is nice to make a decision when you have quality data. Thank you very much, Rob. We really appreciate your time. And Michael, thank you for your time. And uh, Rob, I'm going to throw you on the spot on a quick couple round uh, questions for you here on COVID. Uh, how have you been doing on uh, COVID with your family? Uh, everything doing good there uh, during this time of working from home? Uh, yeah, I, I would say I, it's, it's been a battle for us just like everyone else. So I don't think we're unique. We've had ups and downs with uh, keeping the kids busy, uh, keeping everybody uh, occupied, employed, transitioning to work from home. Uh, we have been very lucky that we haven't had any health issues, so we're thankful for that. It's been a struggle, but it's not unique to us. I think everybody's feeling uh, the crunch just as much as we are. All right, well, uh, thank you. And uh, I'll tell you, it's been kind of nice uh, social distancing for my wife. Uh, we've been married 24 years and uh, uh, she's like, go ahead, social distance, we're okay. So uh, uh, I've actually, from a side note on this from our coworkers, we felt like we benefited from COVID by actually learning the technology and using it to be closer. So, um, you know, anyway, well, thank you very much, uh, Rob. I thoroughly in, 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 in enjoyed it. And Michael, thank you for your time today as well, too. So we look forward to seeing you again. And uh, we want to visit with you again when you get that report out in a few weeks. So Absolutely. I hope you don't mind. Happy to do Thanks for having me. Rob, we really appreciate um, all the time he took. Um, before we let you go, I just need to do a couple shameless plugs. First, if you're not subscribed to the 360 Digital Closing Bell, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, do that. Best way to stay up to date on all of your energy finance stuff. We drop shows, uh, five-minute shows on live on YouTube every single day. We're also dropping uh, uh, 
weekly, bi-weekly podcast. Uh, you can check all that out. Like I said, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. You should also subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. It is a great way to stay up to date on all of your energy thought leadership. Also check out the oil and gas conference.com, which is the, the investor conference of the year. You can get all the details on what that is going to look like. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next time here on the energy expert network.